0: welcome to another edition of baseball and beyond it's the winter time there's winter meetings happening and boy i haven't done a baseball interview in a while and i've been trying to catch up with this guy he's i consider him a friend and he keeps turning me down but i said benny we got to talk some baseball it's gary bennett one of my all-time favorites
1: hi benny brad how are you and just for for point of clarification i never turned you down (laughs) um I may have not answered the phone when I said I was going to, but I, I flat out never turned you down.
0: Well, You're busy with these kids. You're, like, coaching up there. You're doing some charity work. What, what is Gary Bennett? for? Uh, of course, Cardinal fans will remember. Gary Bennett, a former Cardinal, the 2006 World Championship team, led that team through August in a downtime for the Cardinals, two walk-offs against the Cubs, big hits. Cardinals don't have a World Championship ring if this man's not on the team. But anyway... That's who Gary Bennett is, and this is presented by Mass's Restaurant. By the way, baseball and beyond. What is Gary Bennett? Uh, the former Cardinal, former Rocky, former Brewer, former Nat, former Dodger. <laughs> <former, laughs> we'll get through all you. We'll get through your resume in a little bit. But uh, what, what are you to
1: eat up all the time? Yeah, Just what, get, name, yeah.
0: Yeah, what, what are you What are you up to? What are you doing up? You're in the Chicago area, right?
1: Yeah, I'm, I live about uh, thirty thirty five minutes straight north of Chicago, area I grew up in. Um, got a few irons in the fire. Um, Coaching kids, absolutely. I, I, I became part of a indoor baseball facility back at the end of 07. Um, that's grown. Uh, I spend a little bit of time there. Um, also have some real estate holdings that I started picking up actually with my signing bonus when I signed in 1990 with the Phillies. Uh, I did a couple things. One, I bought a little bit of stock and the other, I bought a duplex. And that was from my dad's urging and direction and, and that kinda got me involved in real estate right away and still have uh, some rental properties and have a partner that does a phenomenal job. We have uh, vacant lots, we build a couple houses a year, but mainly pick up distressed properties, try to, to renovate them and, and hang on to them and rent them out. Yeah. And on the board of a couple foundations, um, science of sport, I was introduced to a guy named Ricardo Velarde, who uh, started the program when he was a professor at MIT, now a professor at University of Arizona, and try to turn a long story short, it's basically a not-for-profit that tries to increase the awareness and, and interest in STEM-related courses with middle schoolers, um, as this, he's a, a engineering professor at the University of Arizona, and um, I guess from all of their research around the middle school age is when they they start to uh, get the leaks in the pipeline. So this whole initiative is to try to get youngsters engaged or interested in in STEM education and careers. And then one other one is a uh, Casa Lake County is a a foundation I'm involved with that uh, uh, advocates. It's Casa's Court Appointed Special Advocates, and they advocate for abused and or neglected children in the juvenile court system in the county in which I live. So that, that that, along with staying out of trouble with my wife and chauffeuring the kids around, keeps me busy.
0: That's right. Now that was longer than the resume of baseball teams, I think. So that's, that sounds like you're up to a lot. But that's good that you did some—you're doing good stuff and you, you saved your money. That's smart. And I always—I ate up Chicago every once in a while. And people should know that uh, I love talking baseball— uh, just kind of the 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 nuances and things that happen and and uh, we keep in touch during the season when things are going weird but especially during the playoffs and so I thought man I want to I got a lot to ask you about so this may be a two-parter I may call you back in January who knows but but I did want to get into some baseball stuff and I think right now I guess the main thing is is this this uh you know the winter it, it didn't seem like I don't know, 10 years ago, people cared at all about what was going on in the winter. But baseball, especially I think with MLB Network, has made it to where you can uh, you can make this a sport and watch uh, free agency and trades. And then like this week is going to be one of the biggest weeks. We already saw Giancarlo Stanton go to the Yankees. And I know Cardinal fans will be mad about that. But just a little bit about um, just being able to watch the free agents. And let's. I guess let's just talk about Stanton. I, as I asked you beforehand, you're not really watching the cardinals that much but as a cardinal fan i was like oh man if you get them if, if the cardinals can get them great let's get them uh for for two weeks i'm like oh man we got to get them and now i'm now i'm like oh, screw them i don't care we don't need them uh it's it's the way a fan goes i am i am over i am i'm actually i'm have diarrhea of the mouth here obviously so my my point is <coughs> i think the cardinals need more than just stanton i what i said to friends of mine was okay stanton will bat third who's gonna bat fourth it's not right. just one guy, right? And I think, sure, it's great they need a superstar, but, uh, you know, if you, they, they skip David Price, they skip Pujols, um, and you look at the contracts of those guys, it doesn't seem like they're working out. So I don't know what the question is.
1: <laughs> well, what, I'm, what I'm going to make a question up for you. Okay. How, how do, what are your thoughts on the Cardinals not getting Stan? How's that? All right. Does that work? It's, yes. My, I get to make up my own questions. I like this podcast get, if I get to make up my own questions. You get to ask me questions. All right. This, <laughs> this is good. I thought – I, I definitely was following that and, and to your point, if you look at any uh, – successful organization over the long haul or or any team that experiences success or by that goes to the playoffs, has a run at the world series. It's, it's definitely not one or two guys. It's not one pitcher. It's not one guy in the middle of a lineup. It's, it takes a lot more than that. So to your point, even if you get a Stanton and you throw him in the middle of the lineup, so he's batting three or he's batting four or more than likely one of those two, if you don't have a big boy behind him or a couple guys setting the table for him and that's, that's, that's it. How far is it going to take you? And, and, and I think the last year with the Cardinals, you know, a couple injuries, Piscotty obviously didn't have the year he had the year before, or did he have the year that a lot of people hoped because he's incredibly talented, but you know, he had injuries and then there's some things that happened that whole middle of the lineup really never got clicking. And, and, and just to get Stanton or someone like Stanton and think that's it, that's all we need, I think would be foolish. And, and in the long run, you know, you pointed to some other contracts. You're obviously paying for hopefully five or six really good years, and, and you know, the last three—I'm sorry, the last two or three years—are are, are backloaded and You're going to own a lot of money, but you know that going in, they're not going to be at their strongest at 38, 39, 40 years old.
0: I just like that they were interested. It doesn't seem—I mean, they—they—I don't like that they keep coming in second, but I also think this was sort of, uh, hey, we need a we need a name guy. To kind of be the face of this franchise, Yadi's going to be gone, and Wainwright's going to be gone, and Matt Carpenter really isn't that guy. But I and the, the other thought I had on that too was like this: this team has not won World Championships if Chris Carpenter and Albert Pujols weren't on the teams. And I just think you watch the offense. I think the offense is good enough. It's not great. It's good enough, uh, but it doesn't have you don't scare. No one scares you on that team. Plus, if you look around the t- the, the lineup, we talk about the Cubs all the time. I would take anybody. You, you position by position, you're going to just take a Cub. I'm going to take Rizzo instead of whoever's playing first. I'm going to take, uh, you know, Baez instead of uh, instead of our shortstop right now. Maybe DeYoung could come around, but you, you know what I'm saying. Brian at third, <coughs> he's going to be. So I just look at the team that we're chasing, and we don't have, you know, every position. It, basically, they they have better position players. So that takes me to my next point. Okay, the hitting's okay, but pitching is really what you need. And the bullpen, I looked at the numbers before we we did this. The pitching was average starting pitching was average the bullpen was below average they blew a lot of games um when tied or or leading after the seventh inning they were like the second in the national league they lost 16 or 19 games and it wasn't like they didn't have a, ter- a great closer but it's just that middle that seventh eighth the Brett Cecils and the Broxtons early on it's always about pitching right I mean when it gets down to it when you watch the Astros the Verlander and Keiko literally ran through that run in 2013 Michael Waka you know, wins four games, one big NLDS game, two big NLCS games. He wins the first World Series game. It really comes down. You got to have hitting, obviously, but you, you just—if you have shut down pitching, you're going to win.
1: Well, there's no question. Pitching is is what wins championships, and and, and you know, shut down pitching. To your point, the old saying is, uh, "Good pitching beats good hitting." Damn near every day of the week. So, no question, you're not going to out slug them on a consistent basis. It's just not realistic to think that. It's not a sustainable uh winning philosophy we're just gonna bludgeon them every night with 12 13 14 right it's not gonna happen so to that point and and, and the thing too I, th- I think with with the cardinals which was odd the last year for sure but maybe the last two years is the pitching was i think slightly above average if you look at it statistically um you know there was a few injuries there but i think what hurts hurt the pitching the last couple years was the defense which wasn't as solid and consistent as Cardinal fans are used to seeing Cardinal defenses be. And and I think that had a big effect on on the pitching staff not being as effective or as successful as, as they could have been.
0: Yeah. I, I can hopefully keep this at a minute right here, this this thought. But, like, your team, the 06 team, along with 04 and 05, the best teams I think we've seen in this modern generation of Cardinals, they had Pujols and Roland and Edmonds and Yachty and Matheny. Uh, Renteria or Vina or Eckstein and it was offense and defense and just a great lineup and I think we always compare it to that 2011 2012 2013 you got lucky you got Alan Craig driving in 100 you had David Freeze going crazy you literally had this sort of feeling of okay well we can sign these guys for five years and maybe get three years out of them and now they're trying it with Piscotti and Wong and so far the jury's still out so maybe it works maybe it doesn't but the, little, the way they were trying it hasn't worked. They, the, 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 basically, the, the way they tried to do it, the way it worked in the early 2010s, is not working anymore. Plus, I also think you need a Carlos Beltran or a Lance Berkman. Those guys won't come here if you're not in the playoffs. So it's, just, it's kind of a cycle, but it, it goes back to my point where let's just get some pitching. And like you said, defense. Um, but talking about pitching, so you played with uh, Mike Maddox, was a pitching coach, I guess, during your time at some point there. And I, this year was weird to me that they just started firing coaches.
1: Um, it was I, crazy. I always find it funny, uh, that was like absolutely crazy, the, the the coaches and managers that were being let go. I mean, you got two division winners. Yeah. You're not coming back.
0: Yeah, Chris Bosio. We got Chris Basio Chris Bozio with the Cubs. You know, same thing. I don't. Yeah, it's just weird to me when the coaches get blamed. But all right, so they say we want a different direction with our pitching coach, and Mike Maddox comes in. So just tell me, uh, you know, what he brings, and and honestly, what. What does a pitching coach or a bench coach or a bullpen coach, how much difference can. I really do think Willie McGee and Jose Okendo is as crazy as it sounds. We've seen Okendo here. We know what happens when he's here. We've seen defense play better. So you just have to assume he's a better teacher than whatever they had. But uh, when we look at Maddox and uh, Eversgird, you know, tell me a little bit about what a, what a pitching coach does and, and what Mike Maddox will bring that'll be different than, than a Lilloquist.
1: So I was with Mike in um, Milwaukee. He was a pitching coach in Milwaukee when I was caught there in 04. I don't know a whole lot about uh, Lilliquist um, personally, so it's going to be tough for me to compare and contrast the two. I will tell you this. Um, Mike Maddox is as good as any coach, pitching coach, manager, hitting coach, bench coach. He's as good as any coach. That I've been around and I, w- I was around a lot of them. I wore my w- welcome out in quite a few organizations. So I got to experience a lot of coaches and, um, Mike is right there with, with anybody I hold in the highest regard. He's, he's got a, a, a awesome way of communicating. He's one, he's a very good communicator, um, extremely prepared game planning and, uh, and very knowledgeable. And, and he just does, he has a, a feel. I mean, you'll hear that word a lot sometimes and it's, it's tough to, Quantify exactly what that means, but when you when you have feel or a guy has feel, it it, it's invaluable, and and maybe it's knowing which pitcher to kick in in the rear end, which pitcher to put his arm around, which pitcher to go out to the mound in a tight inning, tight game, and crack a joke, or or and he's been around the game so long, and he just has phenomenal feel for his player, his pitchers, his players and the game, and um I, I. I learned a ton from him, just, you know, calling games, what you're looking for, uh, how your pitcher's doing, um, different things fundamentally with, with pitchers, you know, and, and just picking his brain. And, and I think I, I don't want to see anyone lose their job, but they were making a change in pitching coach. And I think this is a phenomenal pickup that, that the Cardinals got. And like I said, I, I'm not saying that, yay yeah, they got rid of the little and they're bringing this guy in, but they made the change. And they found a phenomenal guy to take in a different direction with them. And I, I, I called uh, Derek Gould and, and talked to him right away about it. So he's
0: oh, whoa, whoa! Um, you called Derek. You won't call me back. That's good. I know um, it's, it's not the well, be- it's not the best podcast in baseball for nothing. I know. I get it. Go
1: on. It was. (laughs) Well, he's the president of the Baseball Writers Association. Just
0: yeah, just just ask him. That was, by the way, that's over this year. That's a one-year appointment. I love Derek. By the way, Derek, hopefully, (laughs) but it's
1: forever on his resume. His his CV has it locked in. That's right.
0: I was I was going to introduce you, by the way, by saying you know a man that I helped get into the television business, and now we're both not in it for some. So maybe that's (laughs) that's. (laughs) Um, Let me. We talked about the playoffs a little bit. and we had some conversations over the phone. I just enjoy talking baseball, and I, I think uh, the first thing I, I think of when we what we were talking about, we get. I think we're on the same page with this, and I, I like Brian Kenny. I, I love his his devotion to the game. His the his views sometimes obviously I just go you know stop it and his his main thing and I know a lot of fr- you know guys that you work with with at Fox good friends of mine uh, Max and Tim if they're listening uh, they they <laughs> just, they just love the closer pitching in high leverage situations in the seventh and they want these guys to be facing those batters in the seventh in the uh, in the regular season not just the playoffs and so when it happens in the playoffs everyone gets all excited oh this is how it's supposed to be. And so I call you right away, and I go, Benny, just tell me that this is not how it's supposed to be, because closers, I've talked to Todd Worrell, and I've talked to Bruce Suter, and Jason Mott, and Trevor Rosenthal, and they will all tell you, the 27th out is the hardest out, it doesn't matter who has the bat in their hands. And the other thing I always say is, yeah, you get those guys out in the 7th, if your 8th inning guy gives up two hits and gets out of it, then those guys are coming back in the ninth, and now you get Brett Cecil instead of Trevor Rosenthal pitching. Again, I've just taken away this whole time. But... We're on the same page with this, right? The closer, it, it, it's not going to change. I, I mean, I would sure. I'd love to see a manager try it for 162 games, but I don't think that manager's going to win, right? Well,
1: first of all, obviously, you and I are both wrong because uh, an out's an out, right? I mean, what does Bruce Sutter know? You know, <laughs> just look at the spreadsheet. It's just an out. Twenty seventh out. It's no big deal. Yep. And that, so that that's kind of the the comical part. And we, we have talked about this a lot, and now that being said there's obviously a place in the equation for a game plan or valuing a players or putting together a player's value, but some people go so overboard with the stats and, and there's, they take the human quotient out of it. You know, how's, how's things going at home? Are you tired? Did you get sleep last night? Are you sick? I mean, all they're looking at is this number, this number, this stadium, this is what's supposed to happen. And then there's, there's, this goes back to the feel part of it. And this is where, um, I think they lose a lot of, of, of the, the feel for coming in and you're either, you either do your job, what you're supposed to do, or, or you're really the GOAT. they are going to beat you up all day because you lost the game. And going in with that mindset, that expectation, I don't care who you are, is going to do something mentally to you, which by the way, how you're feeling mentally is going to affect how you do physically. And, and that part of it, you cannot quantify. Well, they, they can't quantify yet. I'm sure they're working on a way to do it. So so that part of it, when you, when you bring and, – and, and you um, interrupt a routine. You know, you have a closer that is used to going down there in the seventh inning or, or has a way that he gets his body and mind prepared day in and day out to give himself the best chance to go out there and execute physically. And now you're saying, well, you, today you might have to go to – or you got to go down there in the third because we might need you in the seventh. Or you don't know when to go down there. And And, and it may seem like a very simple – or, or kind of a, a soft excuse that mentally that you should be able to handle that. But it's, it's huge to get into a routine, let your mind settle in, and, and just stay in that groove for a season. And if, if that's turned upside down, it, it's it's tough. You battle. And that that's the part of it, I think, the statisticians or the Sabre, the guys that beat the Sabre drum, I, I think that part of it, they just don't appreciate or and they definitely don't value. It's
0: funny because, you know, uh, you could argue about this back and forth. I could, I'm sure if I had my, like I said, my buddy Max, who's Mr. Sab guy, and doesn't let you get a word in edgewise during a conversation, uh, he would yell at the, about this. But like last year, the, you know, Charlie Morton was the guy who pitched four innings. The Astros didn't have a closer, and, right. I, and I could argue that yeah, well, the Dodgers may have won if they didn't wear Kenley Jansen down through October. I mean, Kenley Jansen was done; he had nothing. Uh, uh, Aroldis Chapman had nothing. Wade Davis in uh, right. 20. They, I mean, Joe Madden just threw him, he and he got he did get through one game. But my point is, yeah, you need to win the one game. But this is the playoffs. This is when I say, what are you going to do the next night? And I, I, t- I go back and forth. I'm like, yeah, you got to win that game. Um, but what I was going to ask next was just we watched that that Nats Cubs game. And it was just kind of it was fun, uh, but it was sort of a you know, it was that back and forth game in the NLDS, but it it was almost just torturous because it was terrible pitching. It went five hours. Then there was the Dodger Astro game, which was a classic, but it was only a classic because no one could get anybody out. And, and that, I don't know if that's good or bad. Like, I think I texted you. I said, was this good? I don't know. I guess I was, (laughs) I was entertained. The ratings went up, so I guess it was good. But after a while, I was just, I was mentally worn out from that, the Dodger Astro. All right, here's another comeback. Uh, I love, I love a good game, but, it was just too much. I guess, I guess maybe I am an old man, and I can't. I can't understand, but I don't know. Did you Did you enjoy the way that that this is going? Where it's, it literally is. I mean, it's frantic. Slow, it was like slow pitch softball.
1: Yeah. I mean, the 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 I am sorry, the twists and turns. Not obviously beating up anybody's talent, but yeah, they're up three. They're tied. They're down three. They're tied. I mean, just it was crazy. Now, from a entertainment standpoint every now and then those games are extremely fun to watch but from a baseball standpoint I mean it was I think that would wear on you <laughs> if you had to go through that a couple times a week um, but but that that I do remember texting me that was absolute insanity just what was going on the 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 execution or lack thereof on the defensive side or the pitching side and then offensively coming up with a hit a huge hit it seemed like every other inning um so I I don't I think it's good in very, very small doses. I mean, it's entertaining. There's no doubt about it. That- uh, but it's not good baseball. Oh.
0: Uh, yeah, it's it's weird because I loved it. I stayed up all night to watch it. We had a conversation, too. I can't remember what happened in the game, but I, I think the situation was something. It always comes up when we're at a game, so I'll ask you here. The pitcher, let's say he's uh, walked a guy. Maybe he's walked another guy, so now there's two on, and maybe there's you know a runner was already left on, so the bases are loaded, and the first the batter who comes up next swings at the first pitch, uh, one out, two outs, whatever. I guess it kind of it does matter how many outs. But what are your thoughts on that? What what does what does the baseball acumen say about do you take the first pitch? Because I always think, man, you know, especially since I'm a fantasy camp uh, veteran and uh, quite the stalwart there on the field, as you've seen. Oh, there's no
1: question. There's no question, and quite frankly, you have one of the most effective early in account swing and miss pitches I've ever seen.
0: You are talking about at, at, while well, I'm sw- when I'm batting or pitching? No, no, no.
1: When, when you're pitching, okay. When you're
0: pitching. You. But my point is, I'm just, I want that first pitch because I, I know he wants to throw a strike. So, and mentally, that's what I think about when I'm watching a major league baseball player. I'm thinking, man. If he's ever going to see a a right down the middle meatball, it's probably like three and zero. That happens a lot. But tell me just your thoughts on that. You know, a wild pitcher. I really feel like it happened in one of those games because we did talk about this, and I said, "Ah, man, I got to. I'm going to remember to ask him about that."
1: Well, see, here's where, uh, and this this can pose hour long conversations, debates, or or back and forth. But
0: well, this isn't the way. This is not. This is not Derek Gould's podcast. So just try to keep it. Just (laughs) sorry, Derek.
1: (laughs) Understood. Understood. This is much uh, better. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the the so the thought process there. Obviously, it, it's going to depend on who the hitter is. Um, and in your your line of thinking, y- you have a pitcher who's struggling to find the zone. So if you're if you swing at the first pitch and make a quick out, silly, he's shown he's struggling to find the zone. But on the flip side, he's struggling to find the zone, so he's going to try like heck to get ahead. So, you know, there's two schools of thought there. Well, do I give him that one pitch and settle into a bat or, or do I jump all over it when he tries to get ahead and misses out over the plate? So as a hitter, especially in that situation, here, here's where the aggressiveness comes into play. Do you, you don't want to take a hitter's approach or aggressiveness away from him. And what real, real good pitchers are doing, and, and Mike would talk about this in game planning. Just, that's funny. He brought this up and it just comes back. He'd always talk about using a hitter's aggressiveness against him. So I, I'm, I i do not want to go on a tangent, but so in that situation, if I go up there <clears throat> and I'm normally an aggressive hitter and I have I'm, I'm hypothetically a dangerous aggressive hitter on a pitch out over the plate and you got a pitcher struggling as a hitting coach, the last thing I would tell that guy is, Hey, Make sure he gets you a strike because automatically you, 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 you're taking away some of his aggressiveness and saying, hey, man, get up there, get after it. Do some damage, get a pitch to drive. And if you go up there with that indecision, well, should I take one, should I not take one, you're coming off your game plan, or what you do best and what your strength is. So I think that's a lot of that depends on who the hitter is. You know, if it's a guy that, like a, a uh, uh, who was the MVP of the World Series last year, Cub, help me out here.
0: Oh, uh, Zobrist, Zobrist. Hayward for the speech? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's
1: a good his, touche. His touche. one
0: hit, his ground Zobrist. ball the second, and saying? his speech.
1: <laughs> if it's a guy like Zobrist that basically takes the first pitch every time, then no big deal. And that's I, so I think it, it, it there's no absolutes there. And I think that's going back to the saber sometimes, is is you got to have feel. And there's a lot of variables in, in why or when you do certain things uh, in a baseball game, so in that situation, first and foremost, it depends on who your hitter is. I don't care who the pitcher is and how the pitcher's been thrown. It depends on who your hitter is. What are his strengths? What are his weaknesses? What are his tendencies? And if his strength is aggressive early in the count and he does a lot of damage, have at it. Could he hit into a first pitch ground ball double play? Absolutely. But he could also do that with one strike or two strikes.
0: That's why it's a fun game. I love it. I love, and that's why well, this, the
1: the, the, the art well. Armchair quarterback. I oh, know that's it's like a Verizon commercial. It's the wrong sport, or, or the second guessing. It's it's that's that's the fun part of it. And there's like I said, there's no absolutes. There's different schools of thought. There's different theory. I mean, that, it's fun. The banter back and forth.
0: Did you get? And we're gonna get into your career here a little bit, but you played for so many managers. So Tony, I know everyone we talk to on this thing talks about just how prepared. Um, and he, you know, he's still kind of wielding the flag for the old schoolers and he's going to Boston and I heard him in an interview say you know we need people like me in the game because once I'm gone this is this this my and he says it feel you need feel tell me a little bit about Tony and the prep- preparedness of him and and just playing for him and, and maybe just kind of delve into that 06 team for me a little bit.
1: So um, yeah the, the preparation sticks out first and foremost in, in, in the relentless I guess preparation because there was no
0: by the way, can I stop you for a second? Because that you, you it, just did. isn't that. Yeah, you just, you isn't just that? Did. But isn't that kind of sabermetric ish? If you're preparing that much, and you're, you know, that's isn't that part of it? It's not.
1: I don't know. But that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I... no no. Well, you're. We'll use day one or day two. We'll, the first week of spring training. Let's let's start there. When you talk about the relentless preparation. I mean, every little detail. There's there was nothing. You know, it's like going back to. And he wasn't alone in this, but this really stuck out with him is is uh, it, the smallest details, you know, how how we're taking our secondary leads. What are thinking here? How we're getting bunched on, how we're defensive bunched. And and, and very tedious and, and, and specific about every little thing and staying on it, staying on it till you got it right and making sure you got it right. You know, it wasn't, oh, I, w- I should have been. Five steps over, and I was, not that's all right. Let's go. No, let's do it again. Everyone walk through again, or everyone go through it again. Call it to play. That, that's a simple example. But then you know the, the team meetings and, and the the pitcher uh, pitcher catcher meetings, the the offensive meetings, defensive alignment. I mean, he held everyone accountable. I guess, and that that's an, uh, another thing is is everyone was accountable, and and he did a he did a good job. He did a great job of communicating with players on, on what he expected from you and that's why you're there don't try to do anymore we, we brought you here to do this 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 give me your best every day and, and that's what that's we've seen you do it in the past that's why we're here that's all we expect you to do you're a piece of the puzzle go do what we brought you in here to do and he, he just did a very nice job of, of putting people in positions to succeed or or do the job they were brought in to do
0: yeah, the way you talk, and I, I watch enough. I was around the the current team enough to where I, I just wonder if the the accountability thing. It seems maybe I don't know who knows. We're not. We're both not there. But you know the base running mistakes, the errors that this team makes. You know some of that is just like, maybe accountability to start with. I mean, maybe you just start right there and say. Because you don't see a lot of guys get benched and you don't hear a lot of criticism, which is a a, is a, a very nice trait of a manager that you're never going to hear your name thrown under the bus by the current manager. But when you watch the teams the last two years, it's just errors, terrible base running, same mistakes over and over, sometimes players out of position. And I just, I, I hate to do this, but I, I do it all the time. I'm like, man, if Tony was here, I just wonder how different it would be. I mean, is that fair?
1: uh i sure it's fair because you didn't see a lot of that and this has nothing to do with mike or or anyone else but if if you didn't see a lot of that and you you were around tony's teams and watched tony's teams i was there for two years but playing against them i knew that too there there was there was a level of excellence they were bringing to the park every single day and it it is fair to say that if if that same level of excellence is is uh different now and it it certainly appears to be i don't i don't see him day in and day out but like I said, statistically speaking, some of the games I saw, um, it's not the same cardinal. Uh, sometimes it's not the same cardinal baseball that a lot of folks have been accustomed to watching.
0: Yeah, and in fairness, they don't have Roland or <laughs> Pujols or Edmonds. Or you know, you,
1: you, you as, brought that up earlier, and that that's a good point too. Is is you know you you compared? Um, I'm sorry, that click. Um, you brought you brought up. Um, the 40506 teams oh four and oh five were just ridiculous how good they were, and then eleven and, and I, I think you're bringing up names like Roland and, and Pujols and Edmonds and Renteria and, and you know they got Larry Walker so those those teams had guys that just went out there day in and day out year after year and did what they did they were steady they were ridiculously talented ridiculously talented ridiculously consistent and I think the difference now is is the names are different, obviously. Or, or use eleven for example. You had a group of guys that had career years versus oh four, oh five. Those guys didn't have career years. They had, they were other than I think Roland had a, a little better year than he than he had as as far as batting average. But on the most part, no one jumped off the page to st- statistically from what they've always done. And and you bring up that's a good point. Now it's a, it's a lot of younger players that. Uh, aren't as established and and, and don't have that track record of just piling up year after year after year of consistent productivity
0: yeah i like to figure out what's going wrong and that i mean the first and foremost is i always say carpenter and albert i mean that's where you you start from um any fun stories your favorite memories of the 06 team travel stories um like i said that was uh, most people may know if they listen to this enough that that was the the two years I actually traveled with the team were '06 and '07. My first year was 06, and I thought, well, they should bring me every year if this is how it's going to end. But, uh, <laughs> but I, you, I know
1: you were you were the final piece, no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I 06. had six.
0: Yeah, I had fun uh, just hanging out with this team. Uh, the, the road trips were fun. It was just fun to see how you guys interact on the road. And, uh, but you know, basically, any fun stories about that team or uh, something that maybe fans don't know or some. Something goofy about Scott Rowland because he's a big, goofy guy and one of my all-time favorites.
1: Yeah, he, years he's too. Uh, <laughs> he's a big, goofy guy. That's for damn sure. <laughs> um, the, the I tell you, going back to, to Tony and this time about the road trips, I, one thing he did different than any other manager I had, and I played for some outstanding – geez, I think four or five that I think will be in the Hall of Fame. Um, we, I think he would do it once every couple months where the whole team would get together on the road. You know, and, and Tony would say, hey, you know, meet at Ruth Chris or, or Morton's or whatever whatever the restaurant was, whatever city we were in. And he'd say, basically, my tablets get together. And and, and it was interesting how sometimes the banter as, as uh, you know, the more we stayed hydrated through the night, the banter <laughs> would get interesting. And um, a lot of times it, was, it would get a little tense, nothing crazy, you know, not, nothing even close to altercation but but it it was almost like a healthy way to clear the air and some guys let out some some conversation that whether they were busting on tony or tony was busting on someone else or dunk was busting on another player or or just it it was very unique because i didn't have that experience on any other team and we did it i think once every couple months he'd do it and that stuck out with me with that 06 team is is the first time we did it you know you're in a room as a team on the road which that was my, he's ninth, ninth year in the big leagues, eighth or ninth year in the big leagues, and I had never seen that. And you got the whole team together during the season, bottles of wine, having beverages, and and kind of clearing the air. And it, it, I don't know if there was something he sensed that he'd schedule every now and then, or whether it was after every one of our eight eight game losing seasons. I don't remember that could have been the case, but uh, our losing uh, streaks rather. Um, but it was it was really unique in the fact that I'd never been around a team that during the season got together, you know, a half dozen times, five times throughout the season, and and quite often cleared the air a lot. It was it was unique.
0: Yeah, I know he get he got that genius label back in the '80s with the A's, and I know he came here and fans kind of had to take a long time to warm to him. I just remember the day he retired, thinking, "Well, that is the end of an era," because it, the the press conference at the end of the night. Um, were always entertaining. It was called Tony TV, and you wanted you you had to stay and see what he had to say. I don't think that happens anymore. Um, and managers just every fan fans are fanatical. The word fan, fanatical is in fan. You know, you get mad every once in a while. and You don't understand why he didn't pitch this guy or that guy, and there's so many things behind the scenes that you don't know. So I think uh, it's definitely missed. Let me ask you just as a baseball thing now. So we're t- we were talking about the Cardinals and what who 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 would you want. Right now, you can make a trade, you can sign uh, one of the free agents out there and near the Cardinals, What well, two players right now um, that are, you know, I don't know if you're following the winter meetings, but potentially available if, if you are following what's happening in this,
1: in this I'm, team. I'm following a little bit, and, I, and I, I hate to do this because obviously I say, hey, they should go get this player, and that's that's indirectly or directly how you want to look at it, a knock on the player they have in that position right now. Right. Um, but that being said, I've I've been a fan of uh, Eric Hosmer for a long time. You know, I I love the way he plays. The game. I don't know much about him, just just outside looking in, watching the way he plays the game, the energy he brings to the field uh, day in and day out. Um, obviously, he had some success and was a huge part of uh, of Kansas City uh, getting to the level they got to. Um, he he sticks out for me. I just I appreciate. It. I really like the way he plays the game
0: um feels like they you, need another you hear what's that <laughs> he would be good along with another bat like that's what we as we sat and talked about this over the off season with friends it's like all right well if you don't get Stanton then get Hosmer and Donaldson Hosmer and Martinez like it feels like they need two bats but you know and the more I think about Hosmer the more I warm to it because first base I mean it was I, I just have to say it this year you could tell that it, you need someone defensively over there. They didn't have it, and uh, when you—that's a big deal. You need someone who can throw the ball to the catcher on a play at the plate, or who can make the uh, you know the old PFP play, and it just wasn't being made this year. So yeah, he's good defensively, and maybe he's in the prime of his career. But yeah, you had another thought,
1: and and well, going back to Hosmer, he's he's a guy too. The, talking to a few people in and around the Royals. Um, I just had the impression too. He was a he he was a huge lead by example guy, you know. And, and you need that too. I think Rizzo, I think, is invaluable with the Cubs in that in that regard. I mean, he he's he's the big boy. He's the anchor. And I don't care whether you got Brian at third or you got Hayward out and right or whoever else you bring in. And I I think he and Hosmar, in my opinion, similar to what they bring. There's intangibles they have that you can't teach. And what they bring to the team, and and and, and you know, leadership is kind of overused. But um, the intang- its just tough to, to the intangibles. They they day in and day out, they they're gonna uh, bring everything and everything they got.
0: Tell me about that, though. You're a former player. Tell me about. We always hear about clubhouse chemistry and leadership. Tell me what, uh, because again, I you, you, we look at this clubhouse and you go, well. Maybe Carpenter? I, Yachty leads kind of by example, but kind of does his own thing. Like, what is uh, – how important is it to have that? Because it, maybe it is missing from this team. Huge. It's huge. But no question about it. But how do you do it without doing it in a rah-rah – I guess Rizzo just does it, but he's a young guy. I don't know. It's it's weird. It's, it's dynamic, right? It's You just have to – I don't know.
1: It's weird, right? Well, it, God, it, it, it's, it is very weird. And, and guys that kind of – well, I'll put it this way, the vast majority of the time, if if not more than that, the person the media is saying is the leader or the common person is saying is the leader in the clubhouse is often not. Um, that being said, it, there are times it is a superstar, but most times it's not because the superstar or the big boy has to be so self-absorbed, and, and I don't mean that in an entirely negative way. I mean, I think it's a necessary evil, a part of the equation that they have to have that sometimes their focus isn't team, you know, and and, and so that isn't misunderstood. I don't mean that in a negative fashion. Um, it's just the way it is. Whereas other guys, I'll, I'll give you an example. I never played with them, but I always heard great things about a guy like Greg Vaughn. So, when Greg Vaughn was on teams and you'd have, you know, Barry Larkin or or any number of other teams he played on, he was rarely the big boy, but he was the guy. uh, It's 104 degrees in Cincinnati on the turf, and guys are complaining about taking batting practice. Well, guess who the first one out the door is to stretch? Greg Vaughn. Or the guy that's telling people to stop complaining, to stop my, just small things like that. I don't know how you quantify it or how you pick guys that have it, but it, it's huge in the clubhouse. And, and Yachty's definitely that way. You know, he lead by example guy, which is huge. But it's also, um, Roland was that way. Chris Carpenter was that way. When they did speak up, everyone took notice. You know, and, and they listened. And 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 that part of it, it, it you know, you hear so much talk about it, chemistry. How do you, how do you measure? What does it mean? And it's it's tough to put into words. It's it's more action-driven than anything you know it's it's the guy that is an absolute pro the guy that shows up every single day and tries to get a little better every day and and most times it's it should be or it it, it is a guy that plays every day because it's easy for a guy to play once a week to to be a great guy and and show up with a lot of energy versus the guy that's grind is grinding it out good bad and did Ron Gantt was that way too uh the little bit the time I spent around Ron Gantt I mean, every day you come to the park, whether it was 0 for 18 or 4 for 4 the day before, you didn't know it. Got out there, got us working, led by example. Jose Mesa was like that. I mean, there, there's guys that in the clubhouse, the example of professionalism that they exhibit is 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 huge. And that, that that's a lot of it what goes in. How do you be a pro as a group? Hold everyone accountable. Be professional. That means let's get better every single day, no matter what.
0: Yeah, and then the other thing I think about, I was going to say John Jay and Daniel Descalso are guys that I just admire incredibly because, not leaders, but did everything exact. You never saw them make mistakes. I mean, John Jay didn't have a great throwing arm, but he's always getting big hits. He's always making the right play. He's always in the right place. Daniel Descalso, same thing. You, you never If you looked at the scoreboard, you wouldn't know that he was hitting 240. Uh, so that was a soliloquy. I wanted to ask you about the yips. You had the yips in 2007 or eight. Um, uh,
1: seven. I start. They started in seven. Yep. Tell me a little bit about,
0: I know you were in Ankeel. Uh, you talked to Ankeel, I think, right, for the book, or you were interviewed by Tim Brown. Tell me just what happened. I mean, you kind of had the Barry, uh, not, uh, Mackie Sasser. You couldn't throw it back to the pitcher. Any, did you ever figure out what, what the problem was, or did you ever delve into it?
1: Uh, never really did figure out exactly what the problem was. Um, this, this is not going to be a short answer, by the way. This might have to be a two-part Okay. Um,
0: I saved I the longest no, for the last, sorry. What, what's that? I saved the longest answer for the last
1: question. That's all right. Um, I, I don't know exactly why. I do remember when when it started. I, it was in spring training in 07. And um, I went to throw a ball back to Isringhausen. And for some reason held onto it too long. I have no idea. And I spiked it. And it was bases loaded, spring training game. And he had to come flying off the mound to get it. And I was like, "What the heck was that?" And then, so the next time he throws another pitch, um, and I, you know, I throws a pitch, I catch it, and as I'm going to throw the ball back, i I start thinking, I'm like, "Oh, it, take my arm back this way, fingers there," and and I'll start. And it was like a struggle, and it just it snowballed from there. And then everything would get tense, and I, and, and I just lost touch and feel for the baseball, and it was it's almost like you forget how to put your right foot in front of your left when you're walking, or, you're, okay, i got to breathe now. And I'm, I mean, it's something so simple as that. I never had to think about it since I was four or five years old, and all of a sudden, here's something I'm, I'm thinking about every single, or I take the ball out of my glove, arm down, arm back, and it, it just, from there, got in my head, and it, it, it turned into a, a nightmare, literally. And, and, you, and did it, Hank, Hank and I have talked a lot about it, and the amazing part to me was, once this started happening to me, Two things stick out. One, a lot of people avoided all costs mentioning or saying or even alluding to the fact that you might have an issue throwing the ball back and then or throwing the ball at all. And then on the flip side, I had a ton of people reach out, not on, on my team, but a ton of people outside the game that used to be in the game or on other teams reach out to me and try to talk to me about it. People that I, I never knew how common this type of thing was and never, f- I mean, never figured out what it was, right? Never figured out what it was, you know, and there's people talk about concussions. People talk about something in, in the personal life, a family, people talk about something growing up all of a sudden gets triggered and your mind starts working differently. I mean, there's all kinds of things people would come up with and, you know, I, I Talked to a couple sports psychologists, had me doing different things. Uh, Steve Sachs came in and and talked to me when I was in L.A. about it. and um, No, never did figure out. But (laughs) going back to – you talk about Scott Rowan, this ties into this scenario or this this yips thing. So we we played catch every day before the game. And I started having this throwing problem, and he starts giving me a hard time. He was the only one that would openly talk to me about it because he's busting my chops about it, which – is fine. So there was a day we were playing catch in St. Louis and I go to throw the ball and I I cut it loose a little bit. I miss him probably about four or five feet to his left. He takes one step and lays out complete horizontal. This isn't stretch. The other team takes batting practice and goes flying and diving about three or four feet off the ground, almost lands in the batting cage, jumps up, picks up, and just throws the ball back to me like nothing happened. (laughs) and it you had to be there to see it i mean in my mind it's it was one of the funnier things i've ever seen on a baseball field and it just like nothing ever happened but it was and i talked to Ank a lot about it. it's the last thing you think about before you go to sleep and it was the first thing as soon as my eyes popped open the first thing i thought about and it just grinded it, it would grind on you mentally.
0: This is a great tease for our next conversation. I think I want to have you be a recurring guest. I'm going to ask right now, you know, maybe once every three, four months, we just start talking baseball, what's going on in baseball, and then we run through some of your other stuff. That
1: I want to hear more about your yips, if that's all right. I I would be, one, honored. Two, I'm flattered to be on your podcast, Brad.
0: That's awesome.
1: It's my... I appreciate the invite, and uh, I'm sorry it took me so long to uh... – to jump on on online here with you. All
0: right, well, I am gonna. going count. You're gonna be my recurring guest. I've decided. You, I'm in. All
1: right. I am in.
0: Go get those kids from the volleyball. Go we're get off them. To volleyball. No, we're off to volleyball. Oh, take, go take those kids to volleyball and tell the dog. <laughs> tell the dog to stop
1: barking. Damn dog.
0: Always enjoy talking to my buddy Gary Bennett. Um, I have so many more things to talk to him about. So we'll uh, catch him. I'm sure. Somewhere down the line, I think I will try to do a little more baseball talk on this thing uh, in 2018. That's going to be maybe one of the things we do, where we just maybe talk a little more about what's going on. Because I have, obviously, my own opinions. And this has been a fun offseason already, just early into it. I like the uh, chaos that's going on. And how many times we see the Cardinals kind of just uh, coming up for air, trying to figure out what they're going to do. This is an interesting time. I always thought that when I was at that Cubs Cardinals series in 2015 and Kyle Schwarber hit one off the uh, scoreboard or over the scoreboard I looked over at my my pal Charlie Marlowe I'm sitting next to Chris Raby I'm gonna name drop and I said I think this is what it looks like or sounds like when the uh, when the window is closing because it felt like uh, the Cubs were making their way up and the Cardinals were making their way down and so far I think I've been right but we'll see what happens in 2018 it's going to be fun want to tell you about my sponsor Masses restaurants, five locations in St. Louis. You can find out all you need to know by going to stlmasses.com. They have menus there. They have directions. It's my favorite place to go. All of my friends who listen to this podcast say, hey, can I get some free masses if I go there? And I say, well, you just say, you know, your, your podcast friend Brad Told you to come to Masses. You, you know, never know. Maybe some uh, toasted ravioli will show you some of that great cheese bread. You got to try the cheese bread there. Seriously, it's a uh, family recipe, and I love it. So Masses restaurants. Thank you for being a sponsor. Check me out on Twitter, Brad Strabinger. Also look at my blog where I put up uh, some video work from be- from the past and the future. <laughs> I don't know how you do the future, but present, I guess. It's Brad's You can find all this information on my Twitter page. Just follow me at Brad Straubinger. And go to iTunes and review this podcast. Put a five-star in there and say, greatest podcast we've ever heard. Got a chance to uh, to even make fun of Derek Gould, who's a buddy of mine, um, and and enjoy his work at The Post as well. That's going to do it for this week's Baseball and Beyond. Hope you enjoyed a little hot stove talk with my pal Gary Bennett. We'll continue bringing you some new episodes here into 2018. It's going to be a big year. Thanks for listening. We'll be talking to you soon.